clearly above the minimum height requirement and shall now ride your roller coaster. I told you they had a giant working here. <laughs> Welcome to the Tall of Fame podcast, brought to you by Tall Slim Teeth. Welcome to another episode of the Tall of Fame. I'm your host, Just Dandy, and we've got a, another great show lined up for you with another uh, tall athlete we've got on the other end here. And um, technology-wise, this is a first for us. Um, previous guests have come in and recorded live here with me in the studio, and um, we are going to try a recorded Zoom meeting here with Chris Knopka or Kanopka, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, just a sec. No, you were right the first time, Kanopka. Okay, Kanopka, who is in the UK. So we're going to try to make this work. Chris, welcome uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> thrilled to be here. So um, Chris, uh, I know Chris because um, as the founder of Tall Slim Tees, uh, Chris's brother uh, is a, was a brand ambassador for us. He's how tall is, is he? He's six ten. Six ten. Yeah. My brother's six ten. So I'm the, I'm the short one in the family. I come in at six five. Yeah. I was going to say it's, it's, it's hard to say you're short at six five, but, uh, I yeah. guess when you stand next to him, that's, that's it. Yeah. How it I've, feels. Been, I've been branded the short one in my family. So, and it's, it's, that's probably the, one of the funniest things to, to tell people when, when I'm meeting them or when I talk to them for a bit is, yeah, I'm actually the short one. Yeah, the run to the run to the litter at six five. That's it. That's it. <laughs> um, so so your brother got us in touch, and um, so you've you've got I've sent you some shirts and you're loving them. Got uh, you on the brand ambassador page there at Tall Slim Tees, and so I thought uh, you got a pretty pretty uh, unique experience there playing overseas now, and so thought we would um, go ahead and see how uh, do a little interview here and see how. Uh, how that goes and of course so, yeah um sorry about that someone someone here walked in so um <laughs> let's let's go ahead and start with where where you're from and uh growing up and a little bit about your family and everything and uh Perfect. let's start there yeah i uh i grew up in new jersey like right on the jersey shore uh, a town called tom's river it was a very big sports town but not for soccer it was a big sports town for baseball uh pretty sure everyone might remember Tom's River won the Little League World Series. Uh, I think it was back in 97 or 98. We uh, had a, a massive sports uh, town, but it's all about baseball. Uh, oh, baseball okay. is all three. We have three high schools, and then the, the biggest sport in the town is baseball, baseball this and baseball that. And I was the uh, one of the few random guys that uh, decided to, to stay away from baseball and, and, you know, go out onto the field and kick a soccer ball. <laughs> Yeah, you're probably one of the few tall guys who didn't go into basketball then, huh? It seems yeah, like everyone well, else I mean, I, I played as well. I mean, I played basketball all through high school. So my two sports growing up were basketball and soccer. Uh, same with my, bro my, my brother, actually. He did the same thing, but he had a, a bit more of a growth spurt, and he actually tended to play basketball and played basketball in college. I played soccer in college and just uh, continued on from there to, to where I am now. And so uh, after growing up in Tom's River, I played uh, – I was on scholarship and – Played at Providence College in Rhode Island uh, in the Big East. Uh, played there for three and a half years and then got drafted into the MLS by Kansas City back in 2007. So right now I'm on my 12th season or 12th year being a professional soccer player. And so MLS had you around. I, I remember you, you were in Edmonton as well. Uh, uh, yeah, so I've had, a, 
I've had a, I've been to a couple of different teams around the league back in North America. Uh, I started my career, like I said, in Kansas City, uh, played there for one year, and then I actually moved abroad and played over in Ireland on this side of the pond for three years. Oh, okay. Uh, so I, I played in Ireland and did very well there. I, I enjoyed my time there. Uh, played for uh, a couple great teams. We ended up winning Premier League there, and then. Uh, after three years in Ireland, I came back to America uh, and had the opportunity to play for New York, which is my hometown team. Uh, they used <laughs> to be the they used to be the Metro Stars, and now the New York Red Bull. So uh, I had the opportunity to come back home and away for three years, play for play for Red Bull, and then uh, ended up after Red Bull, uh, Red Bull playing for Philadelphia for two years, then got traded up to Toronto. Was up there for three years. Uh, and then made my way back for here to the UK, played in the Scottish Premier League uh, for, for a year. And then uh, now I'm over here in the UK playing in uh, Cardiff City. Made, made your way around and same position yeah. every time, goalkeep, goalkeeper each time? Yes, yes. I've, I've been a goalkeeper my entire life. I've, uh, since I was about three or four years old, this in goal and I never came out. Is that because you were taller than everyone else? I, I assume there's probably some advantages to being taller, longer, and yeah, there, there are obviously. Uh, goalkeepers are a different breed from another, like uh, the rest of the sport, the the soccer players, the outfield players, if you will. It's uh, it's pretty funny because uh, goalkeepers, you're you're the one that's basically standing in line from getting. You have to put your body on the line and basically get hit with a ball 90 miles an hour in your face or on your arm, and that's doing a good job. <laughs> Where the other guys are the ones that are trying to – there's pressure on them to sort of come and smack the ball as hard, hard as they can. So you got to be a little uh, – got to be a little bit out there to be a goalkeeper. I always say every goalkeeper has something strange or weird about them. Uh, you have to be – in order to be the guy that wants to put their body on the line and – you know, have a smile on your face when you get smacked in the head with the ball coming at you at 90 to 100 miles an hour. Because you just did a good job. <laughs> exactly. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened to me. So. Yeah, you got to be uh, a little tougher. I, I, I grew up playing hockey, so we're, we were always sort of known as the tough guys, right? You, you, play, you lose a tooth, you just go back out and do your next shift. But soccer right. players sort of have that, uh, that stigma of being the take a, take a dive and, and fall down if someone looks at you. Uh, association but probably not for the goalkeepers you, you're a little tougher than those guys out there I mean I, I don't I, I don't take anything away from those guys because I've seen some some players in my day that have been uh, very hard-nosed guys would put their body on the lines themselves you know your your defenders your back line in front of you they're they're doing a lot of the leg work a lot yeah. of the they're doing just as much as a goalkeeper is with regards to stopping the ball from going into the back of the net I think it's just a little bit of a a, a the people diving you know like uh I, you, you see it and it's highlighted but it's soccer i mean it's a very difficult tough tough game i mean it's for for what people say obviously it's not the the hard hitting impact of an american football team like oh, yeah. nfl obviously but there's i've seen injuries that would you know make you cringe left right and center in this sport guys with uh busted achilles and, and shattered knees Ooh. and broken legs and concussions left right and center so i mean it's you, you get the worst of it here just as much as you would get in any other sport oh yeah i'm sure it's just it's just as physical and the games are so much longer than any other uh, I, I, being as drawn out as they are i imagine there's even more opportunity for for injury compared to basketball is what 48 48 yes. minutes of basketball Correct. and yes. 
And those, I mean, you see, you want to talk about diving. Gosh, look at the modern NBA game. It seems like uh, they don't really have much of a leg to stand on if they're accusing soccer players of, of taking dives because I've seen Correct. some bad flops in the NBA yeah. uh, myself. You know, I mean, like I said, it's, it's like a, a, a soccer game is over 90 minutes plus they have like uh, injury time, uh, stoppage time, if you will. So you're really – you're working basically on like a uh, hundred minutes worth of work. It's only like a little 10 minute break in between. So it's nonstop. It's, it's, it's constant. And it's, uh, it's definitely, definitely a uh, challenge on the body and the mind. Mm-hmm. As well. I bet it's high intensity too. Cause you probably, how many shots as a goalkeeper, how many shots do you face in a game that you actually have to stop there? Yes. I mean, obviously I mean, it's, it's, yeah, every, obviously every game is different. I mean, there's honest with you. There's sometimes where as a goalkeeper, your training sessions are more difficult and more uh, more hard than a game would be because there's sometimes in a game if you're your team is put in the, the guys in front of you are just they're on and, and they're doing fantastic and, and your team is winning and you have full control over the tempo of the game and the game itself a goalkeeper may just be standing there for a little bit and for for most of the game to be completely honest with you and may not get a shot to save or might be standing there for 75 80 minutes and not involved in the game at all, but then have to go uh, make a save to, to keep his team in the game for, from getting around for 85 minutes. So that's the mental side of things for a goalkeeper. That, not to get lazy. Correct. That, that really, that a lot of people don't think about uh, is that if you stand around, if you're just outside in the cold for 85 minutes and then at a moment's notice, you're, you're called upon to make, an un- unbelievable save and put your body through some crazy uh, not real situation and, and, and movement to to pull the ball out of the, the net i mean it's uh it could be pretty pretty intense and pretty mind-blowing with with when you think about that so oh, yeah. it's, you have to stay focused you have to even when you're not getting the ball a shot back at you or if you're not involved uh, it's not as an intensive game. You still have to stay focused in because that moment could be called upon of you and then you have to uh, hopefully do well because it could be <laughs> the game. So. so can you do a pull up on the, uh, on the goal post there? Can you reach the top? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the goal is anyone that doesn't know the, the goal is and the goal it's eight yards wide. So 24 foot wide is so uh, my, my span like going standing flat footed goes the crossbar which is a little bit more of a benefit for me yeah uh, i bet that helps <laughs> it does help. so uh it being that that that's uh when i reach up realistically if i'm standing on the goal line the ball is not gonna get over my head that's a good thing but obviously when when the ball's in that pace at 90 to 100 miles an hour and then you have to get your hand-eye coordination to get the, your hands up that high in a short amount of time and then the ball sometimes will there players these days they figured out how to even the ball knuckle sort of like a, a yeah. ball curving around it's cur- not even just a curve there's obviously the curve but even when you think of like a knuckle ball how it moves around in all different directions as it's coming in at you yeah i mean Off you have speed. to obviously stay, stay focused so as much as the the height helps and the fan helps the uh the quickness and reactions have to be there as well now i've seen soccer games that get to uh penalty shots or shootouts i'm not sure what they're called but it looks like sometimes uh if i had to guess it would look like the goalie or the goalkeeper sort of just picks a direction they're going to go before the shots even 
even launched. Is that is that true? Because sometimes they are just so off when I'm watching yeah. them, up the wrong way. It's sort of like a, a, yeah. a chess game out there. It is. So with uh, spot kicks, with penalty kicks, uh, it really is, it's a buying game and a guessing game uh, with the goalkeeper and the player. Uh, whether it's just happens in a game and there's one or whether it's an actual penalty shootout uh, at the end of the game, whether maybe it's a, uh, a playoff game and it, uh, the winner has to dance. So that, that would be one reason for a, a shootout, which oh, right. would be like a, a t there has to be a winner of the game because it's a playoff situation or it's a cup final or something like that. So uh, with, with penalties, the, the spot is only 12 yards away from, the, from where they're kicking the ball on goal. And so when you think about it, it's, they have eight yards wide. And as a, as a person, you can't really cover eight yards when yeah. they're shooting from 12, 12, only 12 yards away. And they're going to be able to shoot the ball again, 90 to 100 miles an hour. There's no really way to react and make a save as a goalkeeper unless it's shot right at you uh, from that short of distance. Yeah. So that's why you see goalkeepers when you say they guess it's we could call it an educated guess the uh every time there's a penalty kick you try to do your homework on, uh before before a game even happened uh as to like if, if we're playing against the team i will know who is going to probably take a penalty kick if they have a penalty against us so you go back and you can look at video or you could go back and look and see what side he tends to go to if he does get a penalty kick and they can educate us that way you also look at uh, the way he's running up to the ball, his hips, his eyes. There's so many little tricks of the trick as a goalkeeper that you could, leading up to the penalty kick, make an educated guess as to what way. Uh, I guess, yeah. Which way his foot's going, you know, you got to sort of watch that plant foot and see where he Correct. can really kick Foot is from. a big thing as well. Correct. So when that's all said and done, all those things that a goalkeeper looks at for a field player they could just go out the window and the field player could do the complete opposite of what a goalkeeper is, is doing. And that's how, when you see a goalkeeper diving one way, the player shoots the other way. Or the player could be very tricky and wait to see the, what way the goalkeeper is going in his run-up. And if he's very good, then he could actually change the, where he was going to play the ball uh, if he sees the goalkeeper leaning one way or the other wow. uh, before he strikes it. So. When you get to the higher, higher and higher level, those are all the things you have to do as a goalkeeper. And uh, again, they can educate a guest, trick them. So sometimes, if if I know the the, the player that's coming against me, he waits. The goalkeeper will then maybe I'll try to one step in one direction and then go back and dive the other direction to try to tr uh, trick him to put it the, the way that I want him to go. Uh, there's again, it's there's so many little things about it. <laughs> I could probably, I could write a book probably about it with regards <laughs> to all the little tricks and trades that you could probably possibly pick up on a on a shooter as a goalkeeper. Uh, and even then, you still don't get it right because even if you dive the right way, if it's a good shot, if it's well hit, if it's in the corner, low, high, then you're most likely not going to be able to get it anyway. So all that said and done, uh, the good thing about that is that in the public's eye of soccer, uh, there's no pressure on the goalkeeper to make a save. Obviously, in the circumstances, there is because it's a goal and uh, maybe it can make or break the game. But you're not looked at as for a goalkeeper. It's probably one of the few goals you can allow in and not be looked at by the public and say, oh, it was his fault. Yeah. So even if he guesses the wrong way, or he guessed the wrong, the, the, 
the player put the, put the goalkeeper the wrong direction rather than the goalkeeper all made a, a mockery out of it and it dove the opposite way. So it's uh, <laughs> you're actually, as a goalkeeper, you, you can relax a little bit, take a deep breath when you're hitting a penalty against you because you have no pressure to make a save, but you have you have the chance to to make a big play. Yeah, hero. Exactly. So that's why it's the best, I guess, I think as a goalkeeper to get penalties against you because you, there's no pressure really on you uh, to, to make the save, but yet you do have a chance to be, make a big save and be a hero or just make a good play on a game to, to keep your, your team. So the most common thing a goalkeeper usually has to do is uh, send those kicks flying well beyond midfield, right? That's probably uh, uh, on goal kicks and saves. Yes. You it's uh that's probably one thing that uh you know if if you're if you're not playing games for a long time and then you have to jump in to play a game uh say it's your off season and then you're coming in or say you're the number two goalkeeper and then you have to jump in to play a game uh as a goalkeeper you're you're hitting the ball at as full pace as you possibly can as off of a goal kick uh you're trying to hit it 60 75 yards up the field uh basically like a, a, a NFL kickoff, you know, yeah. they basically smash the ball as hard as they can, and they're trying to hit it like a good 65, 70 yards up the field. Uh, and you would have to do that a decent amount of times. I mean, there's been times where I've had to kick out 15 to 20 in the game, and by the end of the game, your leg is hanging off you because of you're striking through this this as hard as you possibly can. Uh, but it's not just kicking it as far as you can. It's also being accurate because you're, you're trying to put it into an area where your players are and their players aren't or yeah. there's a better advantage for your player to to either uh, to receive the ball and hold it up himself or to flick it on for uh, a chance for another uh, one of your players to uh, maybe even counterattack and go to goal. So now, do you find your long legs help with that? Like being taller, do you get a better like leverage when yeah, you're, when you're I've always had Yeah, I've always had a decent strike. Like I, I've, I think when you think of like a pendulum, my legs are pretty long as well. So uh, like a as a pendulum when it goes back if it was a long stick or if it was longer anything as it goes back there's more momentum as it comes back through so even for myself like with my legs I've, I've never really shied away from having to kick the ball long uh and thought of myself as being having a, a decent kick just because of how long and i think having the long legs obviously helps now are you usually the tallest one on the teams you've played on several several teams professionally now are you probably the tallest or one of the tallest generally every everywhere you've gone yeah uh there's guys around there's some guys on every team that i've been on that are around my height uh i can't really say from now that i think about it it's really anyone that's taller than me usually th there are a few guys in the, the world of soccer like around uh, club teams whatever that uh in the professional ranks that are taller than six foot five uh, you see a couple six six guys, goalkeepers and outfield players. You see a couple six seven guys. I think there might be one or two six foot eight guys. Wow! But six foot five is probably like the the average tall height uh, that like that you would probably find on a team. Some six foot three, six foot four guys. Your defenders or goalkeepers might be on that height. So I I can't really say if I I can't think of any player that i've played on a club for playing professionally has actually been taller than yeah. me but there's been one or two guys that have been the same close way. yeah 
So I wonder, is this the same in the UK as it is in America? When, when someone runs into you, they see, whoa, 6'5". Is it always, do you play basketball? Is it the same over there as it is here? Yeah, it is. You always get that. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, it's a, it's a global thing. Huh? I, I think it's a global thing. I honestly do. I, I think it, it's, you know, I think even more so over here because basketball is such an American sport. And I think anytime you're outside of America, even even if you were five foot ten, they would probably uh, they you would they'd probably tell you, oh, did you play basketball? Did you play uh, you know American football? Uh, I, I just in general, I think. But I think uh, being t- I, I've always gotten that my entire life. Oh, so you're a ball player, huh? You're a basketball player, huh? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, I'm a ball player, but I'm not a basketball player. I'm not even a baseball player. I'm a I'm a soccer player. <laughs> And they uh, they probably yeah. they pick up on you being American. They just listen to you speak, and they probably know you're American pretty quickly, I guess. Oh yeah, <laughs> the accent stands out like uh, like sore thumb here. So, do the people in the UK are they as enchanted with your American accent as people in America tend to be enchanted with and charmed by the UK accent? Some yes, and some no. I think it depends on who you're speaking to and where it is. I I think it would probably be less here because over here there's so many things on television that ha- like they'll have regular shows so the the american accent is more prevalent i think any place else in the world than other accents are within america uh so you know when you turn on tv they'll have ncis or american pickers on the history channel or uh <laughs> you know uh, what is it? Two and a half men. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll have all these shows on. They'll, they'll have Sopranos on TV. They have Family Guy on TV here. Uh, they got it all. So, exactly. So they, they have all these American TV shows that, so when you think about it, in America, there's a thousand UK Brit, or British television shows that are on TV all the time that we're accustomed to, uh, to listening to that accent. You have, uh, what is it, like Hell's Kitchen and and James Bond movies. That, <laughs> that's <know>? true. <laughs> so you, th- you take away those and like the Monty Python movies, then uh, you're kind of, I, I'm sure there's more obviously, but I, there's obviously, there, there's such an infatuation, I think with the American culture over here uh, that everything is going to be on television. So oh, hearing okay. an American accent, just live time may not be as, uh, I don't think it would be as shocking as when you hear someone's like when if you're in the middle in your heart if you're in the heart of texas in the middle of dallas and you hear someone with a scottish or, or irish or english accent they're they're going to stand out pretty much so pretty, I mean, pretty much yeah. i've always wondered because here it seems like if you make a documentary and you need a smart sounding person as your narrator you always go with a british one so i thought i wonder if the yeah. british make documentaries and they need someone to sound well, smart well, or maybe well, to sound well, dumb maybe that's a, maybe that's their uh their approach. they, 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 they just get they just get Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. He just narrates everything now. Yeah. It, it's, it's been just an adjustment. Smart. It's got to be Morgan Freeman. Exactly. Have you had to adjust with the, with the term football? I mean, you, you, you grew up calling yourself a soccer player. So I suppose you now have to refer to yourself as a football player. That probably sounds, sounds wrong. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think it was more of an adjustment like years ago when I first uh, came over and lived in Ireland. Uh, they call it football, obviously, as well. Uh, but just from being around and be, like, like I said, I played three years in Ireland. I played one year up in Scotland, and I've spent a lot of time over here in in England and in, in Wales as well. Uh, 
even in my off seasons playing back in the United States, I would uh, come over here and work out with clubs to keep myself fit and keep myself going. So I've been around the culture enough, I think now it's a, where it's just, you kind of interchange it. Uh, you, football is football, is soccer, soccer is football. And you, it's kind of one in the same. So it, Do they me, say it soccer? Really, you, you say, they say soccer when Do they, they like, have, will they understand it? If they, if you say, yes, soccer they now. will, they, they'll understand it. What they, the, the times that you'll find someone within the UK using the term soccer instead of football is when they have to actually distinguish between American football, like something like an NFL and, oh. and soccer. So it, when you're talking about uh, like a collegiate sports and I was having a conversation just the other day with a, a player in, uh, in like the locker room here. And uh, is we were talking about collegiate sports back in America and how like, for instance, uh, you know, the University of Michigan gets 110,000 fans at a, at a game. That's how much their uh, their American football stadium holds. Or yeah. uh, UC or uh, like USC gets, you know, 85,000. USC gets more than the LA Rams NFL team. And so, like, when you're talking about collegiate, I, I found over here when I'm talking about collegiate sports, uh, they, they distinguish between, that's when, you, when you're talking about one thing with football, uh, American football, and then you have to say football. It's easy enough to be understood that you can say the term soccer instead. Mm, okay, that makes sense. And yeah. so, I yeah. guess you've been saying football all over. I mean, Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales. Yeah, you've yeah. kind of covered the the area. What's what's been your favorite? Uh, what's been your favorite place to be? Which of all those places? If someone was going to go on a vacation, where would you recommend they go? Of all those, all those destinations. You know, I, uh... There's something that holds, you know. There's something special about every place, to be quite honest. Uh, I I spent the most time with regards to to playing playing in the league in Ireland. Uh, I played three years there, so uh, like Ireland has a very special place in my heart. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, it's beautiful. People, country is gorgeous. You know, the the people are very friendly. Everything like that. So, uh, as an American going there, it, it was just very enjoyable to, to step up of playing and be engulfed in this culture and hmm. uh from there uh as much as that was great i mean i lived when i played in scotland uh it was i in scotland i was actually in the highlands of scotland i was all the way up in inverness which is as far north as you could possibly go in basically the united kingdom oh and so it's uh and it was again the scenery was gorgeous. It, it's such a beautiful part of the country. Uh, have the the Highlands, it's like it's basically the mountains of Scotland uh, with the lakes. Uh, I basically live right next to to Loch Ness, uh, so I was looking for Nessie the Loch Ness monster. Oh, there! Think <laughs> was over. Uh, so again, it, it was gorgeous there. And then even here as well. I mean, Cardiff in Wales, obviously, it's just across the the border from. Uh, Wales and England, but we're only two hours away from London, uh, and London is a fantastic city as well. So I, I've been all over. Like I said, every place has something very special about it, and uh, it's it's been great to experience all of this stuff. Oh, well, that's cool. Outside of America, and see some of these different places. Do you run into the same uh, same tall people challenges? The drinking fountains are too low, ducking in doorways, and are hitting your head on things, or is it just as uh, unaccustomed for a tall person out there? as it is here yeah door, door, doorways are a little difficult uh <laughs> over here it does seem that uh a lot of things are built a little bit uh a little time ago so a little ways ago so like 
doorways would be a lot smaller uh if you go to a someplace that's really not modern i should say uh it's funny i was actually uh maybe it was last week or the week before ended up going to the uh the oldest bar in all of wales oh. uh, it was around it was around since like 1380 if i'm not mistaken wow uh, crazy crazy a thatch it was basically a small thatched roof little building and underneath the building was this small little bar with a fireplace and wouldn't be any bigger than than a bedroom if you will uh <laughs> but to get in I, to get in i had to basically duck down to my shoulders and then wow. once i was in there once i was in there the uh the wooden beams across the ceiling i had to duck basically every every step I took because the wooden I could stand straight up in between the wooden beams, but the wooden beams still because it's such an old building. It was built obviously back in the century. Wow. That uh it uh it was interesting enough to see and tall people aren't really uh it wasn't built for a tall person, let's just say say that. So internationally it's not necessarily more tall friendly, uh unless you're in the Netherlands where everyone's a giant, I I guess there's there's really no uh no one's uh no one's really trying to help out the tall folks anywhere it sounds no no they're not <laughs> they're definitely not especially the subway it's, i imagine the subway is probably very common transit uh in the uk isn't it yeah well trains yeah trains in general are oh but trains are built quite nice to be honest you have plenty of room uh like an amtrak train every place you go uh and i find actually that if you're sitting in on a on a train, it's probably more. I think it's more comfortable than sitting on a plane sometimes. If oh yeah. You're, <laughs> sometimes you feel like you're a sardine in a pan on, on, on some of the these days. You know, yeah, airplanes are no I, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, and that's a whole other thing with with regards with regards to tall people. Obviously, I always have to get the uh, zero or or try to get the mm-hmm. economy plus seating on like to get that extra legroom whenever you can get it. Yeah, you got a long flight when you have to go back home. Is it Pittsburgh or Philadelphia? Which, which Philadelphia? Philadelphia. Yeah, That's Philadelphia. a long flight from uh, from the UK. So you, yeah, I hope yeah, you get a good it's seat. About seven, seven and a half hours. Uh, every way so far, I've gotten at least an exit row, so I've been all right. Oh, there you go. Are the showers there pretty low too? You go to hotels and stuff. Is it uh, just ridiculous shower heads in the? Yeah, so yes, some yes, but then some some like I said, if you're in a, a place that was sort of remodeled or modern, then they obviously. Uh, they've changed with the times and realized that people are taller now than what they were even just a couple years ago, 50 years ago. So, a little more accommodating uh, now. A little bit more accommodating. I, I have to say like in, in my place here, I don't have to bend down to, when I take a shower. Shower head is, is nice and high and I'm good to go. Awesome. But again, I've been at places, I've been at places where the shower head hits, uh, like hits your waist basically. Yeah. Well, that, well, well, that's pretty much the same. So it sounds pretty similar. Like, uh, you yeah, go to Nashville, it, there's not a lot of changes. <laughs> yeah. Not a lot of changes. Exactly. You're, you're stuck with the same problems over here as you are back in America as a tall person. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's no getting around it sometimes. Nope. Definitely not. So what is the name of your team? If someone wanted to catch, uh, catch you in action. See, so you said, uh, your season's going to be coming up here. Ending yeah. Soon. So yeah. So I, 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 yes, I play for Cardiff City, uh, and we're right now in second place right now in the English Championship. So uh, we have uh, about six or seven games left in the season, and then hopefully, if we stay where we are, then there's a chance to get promoted into the uh, the English Premier League, the oh, wow. top flight. They over here. Uh, I'm sure you might have term there, there. It's what's called promotion and relegation. So, considering t- if you take baseball for instance, uh, you have the has their major leagues like the obviously you have the, the Yankees the Mets the Phillies and yeah. so on and so forth so 
baseball team has a minor league team. There's triple A, double A, single A, yeah. all the way down to farms. Uh, ball, we would call it. So instead of that system where there's league, two league, three leagues, and then the teams don't ever change uh, within that league. Uh, are you there? Did I lose you? No, I'm here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so instead of that, so they have uh, the players would then go in between the teams, make, your, make themselves go higher in a league or better in the league. Here, it's called promotion and relegation within the league. So oh. yeah, you have your top league. You're the, the English Premier League, 20 teams. At the end of the season, the bottom three teams, the teams that finished 18th, 19th, and 20th, actually move down and get uh-huh. relegated to the league, the second tier league. Wow. And then the, Harsh. And then the three, correct. And then the three teams that finish one, two, and three in the league below actually get promoted into the top league. And it goes through that system way down to level six and level seven. So realistically, you could have a top team that was in the, the top league in the entire country, uh, English Premier League. And then if they lose, if they had a, a bad season one year and they get relegated, and then they have a bad season another year, relegated again, well, now they're down in the third t- league. Like, wow. Double, like, what it goes, Major League Baseball, Triple A, Double A, Single A. So it would be like the New York Yankees moving down to Double A baseball. <laughs> and playing, yeah, and playing like the Trenton Thunder. Wow, that would be, uh, and that's every year over there. So each season, every every season, every year, you have a chance to get promoted and a chance to get relegated. That is cutthroat. Yes, it is. Imagine if college uh, college um, conferences did that. The uh, you know the SEC booting out their their bottom tier football teams and adding in the uh, the top ones from other leagues or something. You correct, can, exactly right. Crazy how, conference. How cutthroat that would be. Exactly right. So it actually makes, to be honest, it, it makes for a, a very interesting season. And the reason I say that is because if season, uh, a soccer season is very long, just like for baseball or basketball, or even yeah. hockey. I know the NFL is a little bit different, but the soccer season is just as long as those, those seasons. Uh, in the league back in America and the MLS, the season starts in March and ends in October. And yeah. there's no break in between. That's so long. It's a, exactly. Uh, and it's the same over here, just different months has how we start and how we finish. So, uh, with that, with that said, because it's it's, it's so long, it just uh, it, it just makes for everything be a little bit crazy, and that that's why it's uh, the way it is. I think. Hmm. Well, you know, one thing that would help the NBA right now is having the tanking battle, right? You know, all these teams at the bottom, they they know they don't have a chance at the playoffs, so they just try to lose as many games as possible to up their draft. Correct. Position. So now so that doesn't now, happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> so now when you think of so now when you think about it, you because that season is so long and you have these teams that if they were out of winning, getting into the playoffs or out of win, winning first place in the league, they still have something to play for because if they don't continue to play well, well they have a chance to get relegated and get lose out of this league and go into the next league. So even the teams in last place are still fighting until the end of the season, trying to get wins even against bigger opponents, just because they're trying to stay up and stay afloat in the league. Yeah, and that's what relevant. makes it great. That's what, Exactly. It makes every game more relevant within the league than just having teams win a season is a month and a half left 
they know that their season is done. They don't have anything else to play for, and so they could play their young guys or they could get rid of some of the other players and look for next year. Every game, every game is relevant in over here, which, like I said, makes it more crazy. And sometimes those relegation games, when you have a relegate uh, a team, two teams within the relegation battle playing against one another, they're more intense than when you have a, a number one versus number two because there's actually more to grasp and more to fight for to stay afloat. Yeah, they're, the they're playing for more. I, I would assume that's that would yeah. make it uh, every game interesting. Lines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, so cool. it is it is an interesting concept I, I know it hasn't caught on it back in back in america for any leagues and i don't know if it ever will well maybe but, but again it is uh <laughs> if it would put more pressure on the team like, like i said if the new york have a bad bad season a bad team for for the year and they get promoted into triple a and then the buffalo bisons do well and now they're in the major leagues you know that that's what it would be like. <laughs> that would be pretty wild to see i don't know that how that would work but maybe maybe one day they'll come up with a similar format to uh, avoid the teams from tanking to uh up yeah. their draft stock it would sure be something if they could fix that problem exactly exactly right well then we wish you the best of luck here on the close of the season to uh getting so you're in the you're in uh what we would deem league two right now you, if you finish top three you're up in the top correct uh, yes top so tier. uh correct yes so the english champion or sorry the english premier league is the the top flight the the, the top tier the english championship is the tier below uh and right now we're in second place uh in that so the again the top three would get promoted into the premier league which is considered one of the best soccer leagues in the entire world yeah uh, that's, yeah, that's the same league that the manchester united's play and the arsenal's play and, and chelsea's and so it, it would be uh, play, uh an experience and a half to, to to be on a club that gets promoted into that league. yeah that would be very cool uh, is there a way to catch your games here in the u.s do they uh broadcast sometimes they, sometimes they do sometimes they don't uh i know be sports sometimes will broadcast some of the, the games uh i know uh, if I'm not mistaken, NBC Sports only broadcast the Premier League. So, oh. yeah, there are some games like the FX sort of check, uh, like the uh, like even like Fox, uh, like FS uh, FS and sometimes or FST will sometimes yeah some of the championship games as well. So, all right, well, earn yourself a spot in the Premier League so we can uh, catch you on on TV next season. <laughs> then we'll be able to to watch and support uh, a fellow tall out there. Um, thank you very much yes. that's all the time we got so we'd uh we want to thank chris for being on the show here with us and uh telling us about life as a as a tall soccer pl or football player slash soccer player <laughs> putting where what side of the pond you're on here <laughs> that's it <clears throat> and uh we'll have to have your brother on here one of these times too since he's the one that yeah the yeah ned ryerson he's uh he, he's doing great he's uh he, he's loving life back home and he, he still lives in uh, New Jersey where we grew up. Uh, but he's got a, an awesome band and he's, uh, he's doing really well. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll definitely, uh, I'll reach out to him. We'll see if we can get him on here in the next, in the coming weeks. So yeah, you have um, to. Uh, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate I, it. I, I, I've always told him he has to go play uh, uh, Groundhog Day over at Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Of so course, one of yeah. One day—that's when he's made it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. I always tell, told him the day the day he plays in Punxsutawney, I will, you know, I'll fly from wherever I am, even if I have to fly ten thousand miles from from the UK to go see him play in Punxsutawney. He's got to uh, write the only, the, you know, there's a lot of Christmas songs. There's Halloween songs. There, there's no Groundhog Day songs. He's no, there's not. One there's Groundhog Day not. song. Yeah. <laughs> the, so, the anthem. I think Adam, 
I think Adam Sandler missed the boat on that one too. You know, <laughs> yeah, he could have had songs that. And Thanksgiving turkey songs. I mean, he could have. So maybe maybe it's still up for grab or for Ned to take. Someone's there for it. So all right. Well, we'll talk to him and uh, we'll catch up with you later. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll catch you all next time. Anytime.